This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. This is the Doctor Who podcast. Well, you probably realised that music we played in there was a little trip down memory lane for listeners who might have listened five years ago. Can you believe that, James? Five years ago. <laughs> five years ago. It's gone in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> I just putting my recording equipment back together again and forgetting what piece of equipment plugged into what hole on the computer, thinking, right, am I recording? Am I recording? It feels like 10 years ago, Phil. 10 years. <laughs> oh, dear. well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned my name there because I'm a new addition to this podcast. I, I'm not one of the old voices, am I? No, you're not. That's very well observed and a good point well made. It's pithy insult like that's going to make the podcast what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's going to be great to have some old voices and I suppose... I get to call me old, an old voice, and uh, <laughs> Phil is going to be one of the new voices of the DWP, and uh, I'm very glad to have you on board, Phil. So um, I'm glad to be here, mate. Glad to be here. Well, let's do this in a traditional DWP way. In other words, you know, nice, polite, gentle inquiring. Who are you, and uh, why are you here? <laughs> oh, right. Okay. <laughs> well, I was hoping you could answer that, James. But... <laughs> Yes, my name is Phil Cannon, and I've been a Doctor Who podcaster for the last eight years. Yeah, I do have another podcast called the Who's He podcast, and our paths have crossed over the years, haven't they, James? Several times. At, Several uh, times, yes. Events. I suppose you could say I've coached you out of retirement somewhat, because you, you've been a guest <laughs> on my podcast a couple of times over the last year, so... Um, yeah. I've got the podcast bug again, haven't you? A, a little. I think that might be making it sound 
like I'm really, really enthusiastic. And whilst I don't want to appear <laughs> anything but enthusiastic, mm. it's taken a long time for me to think, do you know what? I need to get the shovel out, go back to the cemetery, dig up the coffin and get the DWP camper van out of it uh, <laughs> again. Um, but yes, I... I've completely dropped out of the world of Doctor Who podcasting, save maybe one or two occasions where there's been a new episode and I've wanted to find out what somebody else uh, thought about it and I can't be bothered to read stuff on the internet. (laughs) But aside from that, I haven't really touched podcasting and it's got to the point now where I think, no, I'd still quite like to have my voice out there. Yes. And, and, And so... Yeah, I, I think I was just waiting for several things to, to, to happen. And um, one of those things is to be able to put together a new team for the Doctor Who podcast. And I'm pleased to say that Phil and I are just a small part of that team. <laughs> yes, we are indeed. So there's, there's going to be quite a few others are going to be contributing to the podcast. One thing to make clear, it's not going to be a weekly podcast this time, is it? It's going to be no. a monthly show. Well, to be honest, I think a, a monthly approach is probably a good one because well, right now there's not a lot going on in the world of Doctor Who, is there? Well, no, but to be honest with you, there never really had to be for us in order to have uh, A, discussions or B, arguments. So I I think in all honesty, whilst it's useful having the backdrop of a new series to discuss, it's not essential. And Doctor Who fans have always been able to find something to, to talk about. Let's just talk about a couple of things we've got coming up on this particular podcast. Um, mm-hmm. we, we've been getting together, Ian and a few other uh, familiar faces from the past, at various events, mainly the British Film Institute's screening of uh, various stories from the show's classic era, as and when these wonderful new Blu-ray box sets are being released. Yes, um, and they are wonderful box sets as well, aren't they? Oh, they're, they're absolutely great for, for a number of reasons. One, I thought it was going to be a case of money for old rope. And I suppose to a degree it is, because we're all buying stuff we've already got sitting on bookshelves. But um, Well, the- do you know what? I, I, I took that um, same view uh, when they released season 10, Tom Baker's first um, series on, 12. Uh, 12, 12 sorry season 12 sorry see my Doctor Who credentials have already been shown Sh- to be an absolute sham no, you're, you're, you're very much at home on a DW <laughs> we don't go in for accuracy <laughs> <laughs> well I took that similar viewpoint for season 12 because I thought well I've already got them on DVD I will wait for the price to drop before I go and purchase the Blu-ray box set little realising that it was a limited release mm. and they're now exchanging hands for three to four hundred pounds on eBay yeah, not the best procurement strategy I've ever heard from. It's not, it's not. So so all the other Blu-ray boxes that have come out, I've been pre-ordering. I'm not making that mistake again. What, you've been buying three of them? Yes, <laughs> the rest have gone on eBay, yeah. Well, the funny thing is, if you were to do that, then you, you'd have been disappointed in any case, because either the run has been extended for for, for the two remaining box sets that have been released, um, mm-hmm. or perhaps people just don't want them as much because they're, they're not going for that sort of silly money um season 12 you're right it's still going for hundreds of pounds it's, it's crazy um, absolutely crazy though i have heard a rumor that they will be re-releasing it oh right well yeah i guess that's kind of what they did back in the day with the key to time dvd box set uh, mm. did, did you manage to get one of the original uh, uh, releases no i don't think I'd, i was still sort of playing catch up 
Ah, well, that particular set, and I don't know if you ended up getting one of the re-releases later, but it's a th- it's a thing of beauty. It's um it's a thick hard cardboard box set that kind of opens out uh, in a very similar way to the key to time oh, kind nice. of opened out and it was more hard wearing than the blu-ray box sets you know it, it's even nicer than that and yet the the run was limited to phew, about a thousand or something along those lines and then they started switching hands on ebay for an extortionate amount until two entertainers it was at the time said oh we'll just produce another lot and then suddenly they went down in value very oh, very quickly see they shouldn't do it should they <laughs> anyway we've got off the point so nice tangent there still keeping in line with uh, DWP tradition there oh yes but but certainly the BFI event we've been recording at once again and uh, for those of you without very very long memories this is something we used to do back in the day actually it was mainly in 2013 when the BFI showed one story per doctor each month so it became a sort of regular convention that we went to and we start we, we started standing outside the podcasters gathered together and i, I had my old zoom h2 <laughs> thrust in the middle of this group of podcasters and uh, we, we did 10 minute recordings and that was that was really good but we've continued that tradition and recently ian and i went to see logopolis and again that was because the season 18 box set uh, has just been released. Ian doesn't like Legopolis very much, it has to be said. Oh, um, and okay. and we, we, we have, um, or we used to have, a regular spot where we recorded. Yes, yes, the uh, the, the famous Frontier in Space location, isn't mm, it? Which is yeah. now uh, appears to be a, um, well, a communal toilet. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> which on this occasion was full of, well, undesirable people below 20 years old, so we couldn't go and record there. Um, and, and secondly, it was raining. It, was, oh. uh, it, it wasn't particularly pleasant, so we found a pub to record in. So, um, with with that lovely sort of smell in our nostrils, uh, let's go and uh, <laughs> let's go and see what, uh, or listen rather, to what James and Ian had to say about Legopolis. Well, thank you very much indeed, Phil. Yes. Um, I was slightly aggrieved not to be able to use our regular recording spot, which is um, a dank, dirty, dark, smelly corner of the National Film Theatre car park, and instead have had to find this rather nice pub. But uh, we've managed to find ourselves a, a, a corner, and uh, Ian and I both have a pint. So uh, first of all, Ian, how do you feel about these new recording surroundings? We're I mean, getting a few funny looks, I see. Uh, I think it's a little bit more sociable than our, our previous slightly windy, slightly smelly corner. <laughs> Yeah, although I do have an affection for that particular horrible part of the uh, the film theatre. I, I suppose in many ways, the same way Doctor Who fans have some affection for some really poor episodes. You know, you just can't help but keep going back to them. Oh, I, I think I can get over it, <laughs> especially with this point. Yeah. Okay, well, let's just set the context then. Uh, We've just watched Logopolis uh, with 450 fellow Doctor Who fans on the big screen with some new CGI effects lovingly inserted into the original footage by Chris Chapman, I believe, who was in LA, or is still in LA uh, at the time of recording. So how did it stand up after all this time, Ian? Well, I, I have, as you know, some fairly strong views on Logopolis and we'll, we'll try and avoid coming to, to blows this time. It's always nice watching them with a whole bunch of other fans and I, I guess that slightly improves my enjoyment, but it, it, it's battling uphill really because I, I find it a, a, a fairly poor story to start with. Mm. I mean, do you have um, 
any memories of watching this back in the day? Because uh, certainly you and I must be of the age where our fandom was, you know, in its developmental stage, I would suggest. And uh, a regeneration always sticks in the mind for me. I, I have very vague memories of it. I'm pretty sure I did see this when it originally broadcast. And this would have been just before I became a sort of self-identified fan. So I was sort of watching more casually with the family. But I do remember the watcher and I do remember the scene under the, the, the radio telescope where, where Tom bids his farewell. So mm. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it on original broadcast. But like I say, I, I wasn't a, a, a proper fan. It was a, a year or two later before I really sort of fell into fandom properly. Right, OK. Well, well for me, uh, I think this was one of the things that made me really want to tune in the next week um, and I remember the regeneration having a fairly significant impact on uh, the young developing fan um, in, in me but I, I, I absolutely adored Logopolis I have to say and it will always always have a special place in my heart and I think you know I, I think certainly in the, la the most recent years when I've seen regenerations in a new series I've really wanted to try and recreate that magic that I felt when I was younger. And it, it, it kind of had diminishing returns. And I just assumed that was because I was getting older. And I think the regeneration from Matt Smith into Peter Capaldi and Peter Capaldi into Jodie Whittaker, I mean, both of which had very little lasting impact on me, really. Uh, whereas Logopolis did, and it did again. When I, when I watched it on the screen, just now uh, with, with with so many other people who I think had similar feelings you, you could feel the excitement still and, and, and therefore for me it isn't a simple matter of me getting old it's a case of yeah this story had something magical back in the day and it still has it now it still is able to create that excitement in me when I watch it is that the whole story or just the regeneration sequence at the end it's, that's an interesting question, and I think it probably is the regeneration and most of episode four. However, I think all of Logopolis has a fairly unique feel. And it, I think the, the, the whole of the first two episodes, I mean, the dynamic between the fourth Doctor and Adric is brilliant. You just don't see it in any other story. There's so much dialogue just with those two characters on the screen, and that's only compromised in episodes three and four because Nissa's there and the master is there and you you get those scenes rather than with Edric uh, you get them with the master and Anthony Ainley and again you see the fourth doctor and the master interacting in a really special way that again hasn't been seen um, I suppose when this was transmitted you hadn't seen the master at all in this form apart from the previous story and then you know not since the deadly assassin where it's almost unrecognizable a different character so I, I just think this story has got so much unique character dynamics in it, it it's it's unique and then it ends in a regeneration so for me I, I just love the way Logopolis is packaged and uh, along with the music as well and the funereal pacing and atmosphere it's it's pretty much a unique entry i would say um it, not only into you know, the fourth doctor's era but into the classic who full stop uh, i wouldn't disagree with it being unique i just 
I just don't think it goes anywhere. There, there's lots of scenes where there's interesting concepts, you know, the, the recurring TARDIS within the TARDIS and, uh, and, and things like that. And there's some lovely ideas and some stuff. Oh, well, that's, that's quite neat. Yeah. But there's just no structure to it. There's no reason for most of the things that happen. It's just events happen. If you actually stop and really look at it very carefully, they spend well over half the runtime just going from one place to the other for no discernible reason, and very often then just turn around and go back again. This particularly happens in Logopolis itself, where they just spend endless minutes walking up and down the, the, the passageways of the, the village, talking to each other, and then just seem to turn around and walk back again and again and again. And there doesn't seem to be meandering around, and the whole story just seems to meander around. I still, and, and you know, this is my sort of third or fourth time watching it in the last few years, I still don't really understand what the Master's plan is. It, it starts off with some odd thing about trying to trick the Doctor into combining their TARDIS, but then is he really trying to get under the skin of what Logopolis is doing, but then is he really trying to take control of Logopolis, but then he's not taking control of Logopolis, he's taking control of the whole of the universe, only he's not because the thing that was vital to save the universe five seconds earlier, now we've got to stop it to stop the Master and that doesn't stop the universe and stuff just seems to happen in an almost stream of consciousness way without any I, I really struggle to get a handle on what is the plot what, why was the master here what was he trying to achieve what was anybody trying to achieve just stuff happens and mm. I, I, I just I, I, I lose the plot to be honest with you and it obviously affects your enjoyment whereas <laughs> it, it, it doesn't mine you know and, and I don't think anything you said was wrong at all I don't think I disagree I think there's you know the, the, probably the more fundamental question as to what the hell is the watcher you know <laughs> why is the watcher even in this story you know there's no real logical reason there uh, let alone trying to figure out what the master's up to but i enjoy it despite that and uh, i think perhaps ironically in a story about entropy structure is probably overrated even in story terms <laughs> and if the whole thing falls to pieces as a story it just doesn't bother me um i, I like the character dynamics i like the feel of this story um, the, the, the regeneration itself, I think, is good um, and is conveyed in a way that does create a sense of wonder for, for, for anyone who really enjoys uh, Doctor Who or the whole concept of the show. And I, 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 just, I just like the way this era ends. Um, and Peter Davison's face is so young and fresh and there's a smile. It kind of just feels, hey, there's a new start literally just around the corner. And, and, and that's true, it was. You know, the whole show had completely regenerated from the end of season 17 right through to the end of season 18. And I think Tom Baker's highly emotive um, problems, I will call them problems, I think he probably would as well, looking at some of the special features in which he talks about this particular period on the show for him. Um, it, you know, it just adds to the way his era finishes because... It's a very, very clearly defined change in a Doctor's personality and the way that he comes across on screen as a character. And it just works for me. And something as, you know, basic as plot and story just don't, don't really matter to me so much. I, I've always found that this whole season feels a little bit like an anachronism. Um, I, I don't know if it's just because the new um, title credits come in, which are the title credits that I remember most strongly because when I became a fan, it was Peter David's era and that's the credit role. I mean, I remembered the old, you know, Golden Tunnel ones, everyone does, but the ones that were, were 
current and the music that was current when I became a fan was that music. And I, to this day, I find it slightly strange seeing Tom's face appear in the Starfield at the beginning of those credits because in my mind, they're not Tom's credits, they're Peter's credits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know this sounds a bit strange. But no, I, it I, doesn't at all because I feel the same about uh, you know when Colin Baker turns up <laughs> uh, for his first season. It's essentially the same title sequence and his face doesn't fit in the same way you've just said Tom's doesn't. Mm. And, but, and I think there's also an air across the whole season. And what, what I will say for Legopolis is it is very much of its time. It is that at that period in Doctor Who they were getting quite serious, a little bit po-faced. I mean, they've said in some of the, the extra features that they showed us uh, at the BFI that they were trying to get the air of science and teaching back into the show and get rid of some of the silliness, you know, the, the, the infamous Horns of Nymon-style silliness that, that had, had to be fair infected the show and got a bit strong. For my taste, it gets a little bit too far in that direction. It becomes a bit like... There's almost an air of 2001 going on sometimes, but on an ultra-low budget. Um, and I, I prefer my Who when there's a little bit more humour and a little bit more action and drama going on. I don't necessarily want to, you know, have the, the, the slapstick of the, the, the previous season or so. But, yeah, I, I, I find that whole, that whole era a bit clinical and stories like Legopolis and Castrovalva that came straight after it and maybe Warrior's Gate and some of these other ones there's a very clinical sort of scientific air about them which I know is what they were gunning for but I find it leaves me a little bit cold yeah and I, I get what you mean I think it perhaps was well perhaps all of season 18 really was a, a reaction to season 17 and I think certainly towards the end of season 18 with uh, Christopher Bibmead starting to write those stories as well um, then then I think you're right it probably went too far but again I mean he, Christopher Bibmead was there uh, today and he he, um, he talked quite clearly uh, about not caring what Tom Baker thought and I think perhaps he was so keen to make his mark on the show uh, that he, he went too far and um, you know some of these sciencey concepts that he was um, introducing and bringing into the story which a lot of which have, have, have perfect bases within science they aren't explained well enough and they aren't you know they aren't really that key in delivering a good story or key to delivering a good story with the exception of perhaps Meglos then all, all of season 18 suffered to a degree from switching the tone from comedy to science so quickly. I was quite surprised by Christopher H. Mead, who obviously I knew the name and I'd read some of his books and his stories, uh, and I'm not sure I've ever actually seen him in an interview before. Mm, me either. Uh, and I, got either. The, I got the impression that he hasn't done many and, he, and he's a relatively rare uh, attendee at this sort of thing. Um, but in my mind, because I mean, the, the reputation of stories like uh, Legopolis is that it's quite intricate and structured, and in, you know and the, the, the infamous phrase of it credits the, the the view of having intelligence, and it's got all this deeper meaning and structure. My impression of him has always been that he's got these sort of clockworky type stories. I mean, they don't particularly work for me, but that's what I've that's the impression I've had. Being interviewed, actually, what came across really, really clearly, and he kept really uh, emphasising it, was how little forward planning there was either in the season as a whole or in any yeah. of the individual stories. And in fact, he, he really had some passion about this as if it was a virtue. 
And he said he thinks the most boring form of writing is to create a structure and then fill the structure. What he wants to do is just have ideas bubble up from the back of his head. And he literally said sort of that they appear in the back of his head and float to the front and then he writes them down. Actually, to my mind, that totally explains a story about Legopolis that just seems to, you know, wander along, you know, like a puppy chasing after butterflies. And the way he described writing it makes perfect sense for that. It was just going from one idea to the other and kind of coming out of a stream of consciousness. But that's not at all what I imagined he would be like. I thought he would be a very structured, thoughtful writer, and it seems he's the total opposite. Uh, well, at least he described that storytelling process in, in a fairly um, whimsy way, I agree. I certainly believed the part where he explained the time pressures of producing the show. And, and he reiterated that time and time again. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I very, very much enjoyed listening to him. He got a couple of overt criticisms of the new series into his panel as well, uh, where he was talking about the stories being unintelligible, which I thought was quite ironic to a degree. But, but yeah, it, fascinating to listen to. And um, I think it would be really good if he did a few more interviews or appearances at conventions, because I'm, I'm sure he's not short of... Uh, of invites but you know he is in his mid-70s now he alluded to that he's looking very good for it it has to be said but uh, I found him fascinating to listen to I, I enjoyed listening to him a lot more than I expected I would do actually because uh, again I'm not, not a fan of these stories but uh, he, he was a, a very interesting person to listen mm. to had some really great insights into that era and the writing process he was by far the best of the guests that they had there the, most of the rest of whom were a bit uh, forgettable especially the, the actor whose name escapes me now who played the watcher who I don't even know why they were yeah. bringing him up because he, had, he he said virtually nothing of any interest and frankly he, his character just stood in a field the whole time so that I thought was a bit of a wasted uh, guess. Well, perhaps he didn't have m- many memories other than just being completely and utterly covered in toilet roll and standing on bridges and fields. You know? <laughs> How interesting can you make that sound? But there we go. Anyway, Ian, thank you very much indeed uh, for spending a little time speaking to me about Logopolis. there we go I'm hoping there's going to be a few more of those uh, beer fire showings that I can join you and Ian at particularly in the pub Mm. (laughs) yeah I mean it was a nice pub as well I have to say but it was quite loud as you can probably tell (laughs) (laughs) but uh, yeah we we did actually go to a screening after Logopolis we went to see the Macro Terror and we've got a recording of that coming up later on as well but uh, it's now become a bit of a tradition so yeah it'll be really good to have you there in person Phil as uh, as well. Now, yes. you, you've been to a few of these things in the past, haven't you? I have indeed, yeah. I mean, like you said earlier, um, it was during the anniversary, 50th anniversary year. You seemed to strike lucky on most months, <laughs> didn't you? Um, there was quite... I went to every, every single, single one. one. Wow. Every single including the screening of Day of the Doctor and An Adventure in Space and Time. Oh, well, there you go. Well, I, I went to a, a, a handful of those, and I think the... I think the most disappointed one that um, was the Sixth Doctor one because neither Colin Baker nor Nicola Bryant could attend. I remember that mainly because they showed the two Doctors, didn't yes, they? Yes, they did. And didn't mm. they have we- Tony Selby as one of the guests? Oh, I, do you know what? I can't remember. I know they had Eric Saywood. I, I think it would probably be unlikely as Tony Selby just because I know how ill he was. 
at the oh, time. Oh right, because so, I remember um, being at one of them, but he wasn't actually connected to the to the story they showed, <laughs> which is why I thought it was particularly bizarre for him being there. So. Oh, but you know, structure and planning didn't really matter. I mean, at the end of the day, what those events really were were just a bunch of people, bunch of Who fans, watching Doctor Who together, and then having perhaps an hour or so mm. of discussion with people associated with the show afterwards. The fact that those individuals may not necessarily have been connected to the episodes or the stories that were screened didn't really matter to me. No, it's neither here nor there really, was it? It was just to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the show at that time. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they they were really good events. And, um, you know, it's why it's kind of semi-nostalgic now going back to, um, to to watch them now, five years, five years later, really. Let's just kind of blend this with a little bit of your background yes, of course, and who credentials. <laughs> now, I, I won't be as crass as to say, who's your favourite Doctor? Everybody says, well, today it's William Hartnell, tomorrow it's Tom Baker. But, mm. uh, but generally speaking, who's your go-to era? Who, who got you into the show? Well, I mean, really, it's the Pertwee era. My very first memory of watching television full stop is The Green Death. <laughs> and I could only have been about three years old at the time. Obviously, the, the, the memory is very, very fragmented now, but I think after that, I was absolutely fascinated with uh, John Pertwee. So when he regenerated... I thought you were going to say maggot. <laughs> well, that as well. But um, <laughs> but when um, he regenerated into Tom Baker, I was a little bit confused. That was my first regeneration. So, I mean, really, by rights, I should be saying Tom Baker is my era because that's what I grew up watching. But no, I, I was always fascinated by John Pertwee, and that's a, an era I'll always go back to. Well, that's a bit scary because that's pretty much the same as me. I mean, I don't remember John Pertwee airing, I have to say, because I'm a bright young thing. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's not true at all, unfortunately. But I, I, I didn't start watching it until I think the late Tom Baker's. But I, I was going to ask, and I think you clarified it later on in any case, The Green Death was the one story from the third Doctor era that got repeated on BBC Two on Sunday afternoons again and again and again. So I have very clear memories of the Green Death, but that was mainly because every time I turned the telly on on a Sunday afternoon, it seemed to be screening. <laughs> so presumably, then you you did see it on transmission, and do, do you, I did, I did. So yes. what, what are your memories of watching Planet of the Spiders then, um, when the regeneration took place? Well, I I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. I, that's that's the weird thing about that regeneration for me because the way they framed it and the way Tom Baker's got his hair, he looks like John Pertwee with brown hair. Well, to, well, to my to my four year old eyes at the time, that's what it looked like. Um, yeah. It just looked like why why is John Pertwee's hair gone brown? And I... yeah, yeah, I get you, and I and I suppose. To all intents and purposes, Robot was essentially a John Pertwee story as well. It just happened to feature Tom Baker instead of John Pertwee. Oh, it's very much a John Pertwee story. It's still very much mm. a, a unit story yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. really. As we know, a lot of those scripts for that season 12, as I've now correct myself, um, <laughs> were, a lot of them had already been commissioned anyway by Barry Letts and Terence Dix. So that's probably why, particularly that first story, feels very much a Pertwee era story. It's not until he breaks away from unit. That it, it can't, kind of becomes its own thing, or, or Tom Baker becomes his own thing. So did you continue to watch Doctor Who from that point onwards? I did. I kind of gave gave up, I think, when Colin Baker took over. 
and it's got and it's got right. nothing to do with Colin Baker. I think it's just because I reached that age where I was just interested in other things. Hmm. So I kind of dipped in and out of Doctor Who. I wasn't a, an avid viewer like I like I was through certainly through Tom Baker's and Peter Davison's eras. And when did you find the re-entry point? Then was that when it came back in? Um... 2005 or did you come back a little bit before that well i sort of came back a little bit before because when they started releasing i started collecting a few of them um, on vhs so i I think the first one i bought was uh, day of the daleks i tried to really concentrate on the pertwee era and some of the i suppose things like genesis of the daleks which was um, a double vhs cassette it came with that and the sontaran experiment Yes, as well so yes, i do remember yeah that was sort of my first vhs purchases i think i got the pertwee years one of those compilation yeah um, yep, yep. ones yeah so we he, um, john pertwee yet again professed his love of, of the draconians so um <laughs> it's i mean they, they don't make a lot of sense those 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 vhs releases because all the the episodes are basically the actor's favorite episodes so they're not showing any particular context Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, if you've never seen them before, you know, it, it did make a hell of a lot of sense because you couldn't, probably couldn't buy the whole story on VHS anyway. No, it, it was a strange experience at the time. I seem to remember getting, I think I got the Colin Baker years first. Mm. And again, at that point, I hadn't seen half of the era anyway. <laughs> um, and yet, for some reason, I still really enjoyed watching that, what, about hour and 20 minutes? Yeah, hour and a half, that, something along those yeah. lines. And I, and I went back and got the others as well. And I think they were, oh, there, there was a couple of doctors who never got their own years video. And I know Peter Davison didn't. And I don't think Sylvester McCoy did. But I got all of the others. Yeah. Um, if you start watching those now, you can't appreciate the context in which they were released. So, you know, fandom was so utterly bizarre at that point. I mean, they, they were literally just cashing in on fans willing to invest in VHSs in general and they just didn't want to release all of the stories in one hit so they thought well let's 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 release something else that people will buy and we absolutely lapped it up as, oh we as, did as yes fans, yes you know. we did we did I think and now again I'm beginning to sound like a, a very old curmudgeonly fan here but I think today we are sport for choice and fans don't quite realize just how lucky they are to have all well, of this stuff on tap now well well first of all yes you do sound old and commercial <laughs> but but actually you know generations say that to new, you know or old generations of fans say that to the new fans all the time and mm. it is quite interesting now i mean because when i do delve back into the world of doctor who podcasts it is dominated by people who are generally over 40 it has to be said yes who just true, recount true. their memories of what it was like being a doctor who fan in the 80s and 90s and i think whilst that's interesting to us mm-hmm. if you were an 18 or 19 year old who is getting into doctor who i don't know even in the last five ten years so you started watching it since matt smith came along why on earth would you find any of this stuff remotely interesting <laughs> but they probably don't <laughs> Well, since the DWP has been off the air, we've had a couple of changing personnel doctor-wise, haven't we? Fandom sort of tore itself apart over it. It did. Actually, it's a really good time to raise that issue, actually, because I was just about to mention Mm two-tier fandom 
but that was mainly through young new fans so the twitch generation to a degree but i think you're right um we 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 had that kind of division and like it or not there is a division and it became extremely apparent when DWM relaunched the Time Team um, <laughs> with a whole bunch of people who were probably under 20 years yes. old, where yes. I think the core readership of DWM traditionally had been probably double. Yeah, and, and there was a lot of um, curmudgeonly old fans like me uh, sort of voiced their displeasure. Oh, were you one of them? I wasn't. Oh, do you know what? <laughs> I, I don't actually read DWM on a very regular basis. I sort of dip in and out of it if there's, if there's a... An article that catches my eye. Yeah, me too. I'm no longer a subscriber either. I mean, it's um, it has changed immensely, and I'm probably now going to fall directly into the trap that I've just um. <laughs> you just you you laid, yes. <laughs> it's just not like it used to be, Phil. You know. <laughs> well, well, the thing is, that, I mean, that's always been the thing about Doctor Who. It's never been the same. It's constantly changing. You know, the lead actor changes, showrunners mm, come mm. come and go. Um, they try out different script writers, script different script editors all come with their own ideas about what to do. And for me, it's always been about change. Obviously, I think for a certain subsection of fans that the Jodie Whittaker was a step too far with regards to change. There's no question that the casting of a female Doctor sent ripples through fandom that had never quite been felt before. Hmm. Um, And I think... It's still too early to say how fandom is going to evolve and change. I mean, I I think if you take a simple view rather than, you know, analyse this to the nth degree, Mm. the majority of people who watch Doctor Who got over it a very long time ago or dealt with it. I mean, I suppose even just the use of my language there implies that I had an issue with it. Um, because there was something for me to get over. Um, it yeah. was a big change, and the show did change massively. Ironically, I think in hindsight, the character of the Doctor remained entirely consistent, and I think Jodie Whittaker is an excellent actor. Mm. So from that point of view, it hasn't changed. What has changed for me is practically everything else, and the way the stories are told, the way it looks, the dynamic between the companions... it's not comparable to the show that I grew up with and that you were just describing a little while ago with overexposed, blown up condoms put in a coal mine (laughs) in Wales with John Pertwee. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) To be honest, I I didn't have any issues. I I didn't have to adapt to the fact there was a female doctor. I just sort of like, well, if if it's good casting, then, then... that's it, really. It, to me, it didn't really make a difference. But I, I do agree. With I think she, she's got. I think she's got the promise to be a very good doctor. I, I think looking back on the season that's, that's just gone, I think when I was reviewing them at the time, I think possibly I was a little bit over generous with some of them. I, I try to be even-handed and not trying to be too negative about them. But I, I do think there there is there is scope for improvement. As far as I can tell, and again, it sounds like I'm just trying to jump in with a caveat. I am not. I'm I, I most certainly am no stranger to controversy, and I'll say exactly what I think. I always have yeah. done on the uh, DWP. It's got nothing to do with Jodie Whittaker at all. The reason why I I didn't enjoy the last series was because the stories weren't up to scratch. It is as simple as that, as far as I'm yeah. concerned, with a couple of very, very notable exceptions. And I did really enjoy Rosa. And mm-hmm. there was uh, another, which, again, I can't even remember what it was called. Demons at a Punjab, I think. That's correct, yeah. Yes, was, think, yeah. yeah. And I also had slightly different experience this time because my daughter suddenly got interested in Doctor Who which uh, was the first time ever really apart from when I forced her 
into watching it. <laughs> well, when I say Forster, it's the way it kind of worked is right. Okay, Tasha, it's bedtime now. Oh, can we watch Doctor Who, Daddy? Of course, we can watch Doctor then, Who. Yeah, yeah. So she ended up watching <laughs> Doctor Who just because she knew I was going to let her stay up. But um, it's a bit different um, with with Jodie Whittaker's episodes because, with the exception of the finale, um, mm. she wanted to watch every single one and she enjoyed them. And uh, annoyingly, she really liked that flipping pating in oh. what I thought was dreadful episodes. Same here. I thought that that bloke. was the. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got no, I've got no issue with the pregnant bloke because he's meant to be. It wasn't human. It was, it was a different species. So I can, I can accept that. But the, the pating though, um, <laughs> I think that was meant to be the shock value. Something that dangerous is that small, which, which is fair. But he just looked ridiculous. Both my wife and daughter thought it was wonderful. So. Oh well, there you go, there you go. <laughs> See again, it's it's us curmudgeonly old fans who who can't get past these. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we have difficulty accepting that the show isn't made for us exclusively anymore, and uh, that that's something which perhaps um, I never really reconcile myself with I think but 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 ultimately it doesn't really matter because we have the entire back catalogue in at least one format if not Indeed, several yes. <laughs> to go back and watch I feel like watching Spearhead from Space on VHS now you know it that kind of that kind of helps um anaesthetize myself after watching well that's the thing the that's the thing yeah if you want to do that you can and that's yeah. that's that's what comes back to my previous point we are sport for choice now Given that we've been talking about the most modern Doctor Who that we've seen on television, I suppose it makes perfect sense just to go back to the almost the very beginning and start talking about the latest release on DVD and Blu-ray, which is a Patrick Troughton story, The Macra Terror. Yes, indeed, indeed. Now, you, you uh, recorded something else at the, uh, the BFI. I, this is the showing I was supposed to go to. I had to drop out at the very last moment because we were meant to meet up, weren't we, and record afterwards. Yes. So let's listen to what you and Adam, wasn't it? It was. This is what we said in your absence. Yes, hello and welcome once again to our typical studio our recording studio this time this is the latrinal <laughs> location that was used for frontier from space at the british film institute yeah back before it became the hellhole it is now indeed <laughs> yeah actually it was a lot nicer in 1970s on um, on, yeah. on, on film didn't it yeah well i'm here now with uh, with adam once again i mean you probably recognized his voice hello adam <laughs> welcome back to Thank the you. doctor who podcast wow yeah it's great to be back uh, great for it to be back yeah. It's been it's very nice of you to say. It's yeah. been a very long time since I've said that at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we've just seen an animated version of the Macra Terror. Yeah, Terror it, of the Crabs. Yeah, in colour. And uh, let's let's do this in two ways. Let's let's talk about the story first because okay. that, it's true to say that neither you or I are particularly familiar with that story. No, no, I don't think I'd ever read the book. Uh, I haven't read, seen the Telesnap version. I, my first real exposure to it at all. Yeah. Mm, okay. Well, he's, I, he's not. I'm not coming to it as fresh. Okay. Uh, but then, then we'll talk about, of course, you know, watching Doctor Who in public. That's always interesting. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, the panels uh, afterwards, perhaps, yeah. and and, and um, also how the uh, how the production was put together because they had some of the technical team there talking about yeah, making matrix, this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, f- first of all, I will start off by saying I think the story. Is not one of the strongest. Probably no. It's not up there with Tomb or uh, War Games, that sort of thing. Definitely not. 
But it's great to have it back, and it does look great in colour. Mm. It has to be said. They no, did a good job. I agree. I think looking at it and watching it, it's, it's amazing. The technology has really made this... I suppose it's the... It's the best way we're ever going to experience this story, Probably. or you know, visually, yeah. uh, unless they find it again. But even if they find it, it's still going to look a bit grainy. It's not going to be quite as crisp Vivid. and not colourful as this version. So interesting, yeah. Mm. You wouldn't want to recolour the original if they ever found it, but having it in colour does add a certain something. Oh, I agree yeah. with you. It certainly, it's a different experience to watching, you know, an episode of Troughton's run that does exist I think um, yeah um, but but the story itself I, mm. I was there's two things that came to mind first of all I was thinking seventh doctor era and, you know we, okay. we we had a dance troupe here <laughs> we had a dance troupe everybody the was happy patrol, very yeah. happiness patrol yeah, yeah, and the way the macro has been drawn visually it reminded me of the swimming pool monster from paradise towers oh, yeah actually where you go with that yeah what is it about Doctor Who fans that simply cannot help but linking stories <laughs> together when there's really no connection? <laughs> no, not at all, really. <laughs> very, very no. hard. But no. the story, I would say, the first two episodes are very slow. And uh, yeah. there's a lot of the early Troutons. And I think this was the fifth story in Troutons' era. Something like Something, that. Yeah. Relatively early. And uh, Ben and Polly's penultimate story. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot... Uh, I guess... You could call it atmospheric storytelling. Well, no, world no, building, I would say. World building, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I'll have to go back and have a listen to the old Colin Baker animated, not animated, sorry, the soundtrack releases. You know where yeah. you just heard the soundtrack on CD and you had Colin Baker yeah. narrating. Um, because there's an awful lot of screen time with no dialogue. There and, is, yeah. You know, and you just think... This is just very, very of its time. In mm. fact, even more of its time than some of the, the Hartnell era. Perhaps. Audio is particularly bad for making things feel slow when they're not. It's not quite so bad with animation, but even with animation, expect it to go a little quicker mm. than you perhaps do with live action. So it doesn't maybe do it favours. No, no, I think that's true. And I think even when characters had to move from one part of the set to another, yeah. animated, it felt like they were walking through treacle or it was really quite yeah. slow motion or, yeah. yeah which when you watch a real life person do it it doesn't feel like a problem at all no. when you watch animated it what are you doing mm. <laughs> wasting time but yeah it's this process of taking it from live action to animated unfortunately yeah. and they, they clearly didn't want to trim it at all they kept the the audio exact is laudable I think well I, it's, it's certainly the principle I think is a good idea but I know they cut at least one scene couldn't in, entirely on the basis that it was too difficult to animate I think and they wanted to spend oh. the time and money making the remainder of it better at least right. that's the rationale that's been put forward there was one particular oh. scene yeah. uh, but they decided they made the creative decision um, not to animate that and I understand Gadafrey base imploded uh, when, oh, really? <laughs> when they <Okay>. found out <laughs> And, and, and part of me thinks, you know, as a purist, I'd like to see everything. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's the first time that I've really paid attention to this story. So mm. I, I am just grateful to be able to watch it as opposed yeah, to have really. to plug my ears in and listen to someone tell me what's happening. Yeah, 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 it's true. Okay. Well, the screening itself was almost a sellout. Yeah, now, I think it probably was, yeah. For, for me, I would say there was two women there. I think they're probably three or four. <laughs> three or four. Well, you spot these things much better than me. I know you've got a more of a keen eye. But I, I think one of them was uh, Annika Wills. <laughs> and, uh, 
Does but, she count? <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know. But it's interesting because we've spent certainly the last few years commentating or commenting on the fact that these events that screen modern Who. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know they're fifty-fifty. It's a very much, even split, yeah. and the yeah, age yeah. differential Much is, younger is, audience generally. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas that was full of old, slightly overweight, middle-aged gentlemen. I'm not, I'm, I'm like not looking at you, Adam. No, no, sorry. <laughs> but there was there was very few uh, uh, people who you would say are now typical of the new demographic. Yeah, of completely. Fans. It, it is the old Dwight's convention goers yeah. club, basically. Um, and there was a smell. There was a smell. I am going to say it. There was a smell very close to me, <laughs> which wasn't very nice. No, it wasn't you. It was the other side. <laughs> but uh, it, th- that really brought the whole thing back a little bit. I would say to uh, you know, 10, 10, 15 years. Actually, no. I'm sorry. I'm flattering myself. Twenty years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Great that that sort of fan is still out there and willing to come along to the classic Who stuff. <laughs> Their aroma is still the same. Yeah, not quite so willing to go to New Who stuff. No, 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 that's uh, true. Shame. But the um, the 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 release itself, it actually came within the cost of the ticket price this time. Mm. So Adam and I now have or in possession of a DVD. Which you can see, but uh, yeah, of the We're looking at it now, and again, once again, the packaging is is superb. Take the slipcase off, Adam. I want to see whether. Yeah, no. I think it's reversible. The cover. I think you'll find, but it's still issuing around. Well, let's hope that um, on the inside of that, the cover will fit in with all their other DVDs. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to watching this at my own pace. It is still quite difficult sometimes to watch some of the Trouton stories all in one sitting. You I need think, a bit of a break between yeah, the two. Yeah, classic Who in general, later stuff not so much, but certainly black and white, you're better off watching an episode a day, mm. I would say. Cramming two episodes in, having a short interview, and then two more is not the optimal way of doing it. No, I would agree. Uh, which I would is a shame, agree. but you're a bit limited. Mm. Clearly, you don't want people coming back day after day to the BFI to watch another episode. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's that's very true. Okay, lastly, then let's just talk about the panels that yeah. they had at the end, which actually I thought this time round were really good uh, mm. across the board. Annika Wills. It's been a while since I've seen her at one of these events. Yeah, so you mean too? Yeah, she's but, been very common back in the uh, the noughties she was at everything it seemed it's been a good few years you're right no I agree and she was well correct me if I'm wrong but was she not far more candid and loose tongued or drunk this time I think she probably was <laughs> yeah she did talk about uh, some of the uh, the hard feeling that uh, Michael Craze had particularly towards Fraser Hines which is to be expected maybe but I don't think she's ever said that before no I don't think so either and I wasn't sure whether or not he had bad feelings towards him or whether he just felt threatened by the fact yeah. that another actor was there and then I think yeah. Fraser was clearly very confident yeah. uh, not only with uh, the, the, the role um, but yeah. acting uh, the, 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 with the women yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> as well he did love uh, to womanise a little bit back in the day <laughs> allegedly yes um, and, and also she talked about how Bill Hartnell fancied her and how she's gone back and taken a look at some of the episodes that she was uh, in with him and how, where his hands were positioned and yeah and a bit of an up down look at the end yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So interesting stuff, and again, you yeah. know, a little bit different to the stuff that I've heard her talk about in the past. Yeah. Um, but they, they they also managed to find a director, a chap called John Davis, who was completely new to me. I've not heard yeah, him or seen him. The any only one he'd ever done, the only story he'd ever directed of Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I I would have expected him to be dead, frankly, but uh, a lot of people from that that era are, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah. no, great find. Yeah. yeah. And, and he had quite a good memory. He wasn't on stage very long. 
but yeah he has some interesting stuff to say I think it's really interesting hearing how they were talking about rehearsals and uh, yeah. interesting how Annika looked to John automatically yeah, um, for, for some of the her. detail, yeah. you know, yeah. which of course is something she's not had to do before because if she gets something wrong, then no one's going to say that's <laughs> wrong. Whereas know, this yeah. time round, she had the director and also, well, again, once you've seen the Macro Terry, you'll know who we're talking about, but one of the um, majorette drummers. Yeah. <laughs> we briefly came on at the end. Obviously, it's a, a two or three minutes, if that, screen time for her. But yeah, it was interesting to hear how they filmed that entirely separately, I think on film, yeah. and inserted it, which is a bizarre way of doing it. Well, maybe, maybe it was not the case back in the 60s, who knows? Maybe that was normal. I don't know. Yeah, I don't, we know, don't know why they would do that. No. Anyway, another really fun event. Very mm. glad we went to see it, and uh, I will look forward to watching this again uh, my own timing this time one yeah. episode a week but uh, yeah great Adam thanks very much Thank for, for joining me once again and back to a back to me I think in the studio yes indeed it's back to me it's very strange having conversations with myself when you have pre-recorded inserts to put into an episode Phil do you, <laughs> do you, do you often have conversations with yourself in front of a microphone uh, I've been doing it all the way through listening to uh, you and uh, Adam speak actually <laughs> <laughs> I quite understand. Well, <laughs> I, I think that probably wraps it up for the first episode of the Doctor Who podcast in five years. How do you think it went, Phil? Did we get away with it? I think it's a triumphant return. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we're really interested in, listeners, is what you think. Are you pleased that your ears are once again full of us? <laughs> if so, <laughs> then you can get in touch with us. And it's the same email address which Phil has memorised. Yes, I have. It is feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. So please send in your written feedback. And also if you want to send some audio feedback as well, we'd be very, very grateful to receive that from you. It's always nice to have some audio to uh, to listen to from you guys. That would be wonderful. Just to remind you something we always said back in the day, you are very, very welcome to send in written emails. We will always read them, but we're really after audio feedback it's an audio podcast we want to hear your voice we we really intend as we always did for the audience to be very much a part of this show so we'd like mm. to hear your voice just don't record half an hour because we won't play it <laughs> <laughs> two minutes two three minutes would be wonderful by all means send in your feedback that would be great we're also still active on twitter uh, the handle is at the doctor who podcast which is at the dr who podcast because twitter doesn't allow me to have a very long handle annoyingly so feel free to get in touch that way and i think the only thing we have left to say is what's coming up in the next episode because yes we've planned the next episode already how about that wow that's amazing that's absolutely amazing so we're back and we're professional <laughs> what, what is it we've got coming up in the next episode phil i don't know <laughs> <laughs> I thought you carried that off beautifully until I landed you in it. Um, <laughs> next episode, we are going to be trekking across the Atlantic. It's going to be hosted by a whole bunch of Americans. Well, and Ian. We've also got Michelle coming back, and we've got a couple of very special new DWP hosts whose, whose dulcet American tones you will soon become very, very familiar with. And we're going to be talking about the Macro Terra. Actually got a review of the release this time, rather than just Adam and I talking outside the BFI. And we're also going to be delving into Big Finish, where we're going to be reviewing the very first Master box set. 
So there you are, Phil. Now you know. Now I know. Now I know. I can sleep easy tonight. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you very much indeed, Phil. Thank you, everyone else, for tuning in. And it's going to be a blast. Welcome back. Bye for now, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to episode 293 of the Doctor Who podcast with James, Phil, Ian, and Adam. You can get in touch by emailing feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com, on Twitter at thedrwhopodcast, or on Facebook. The back catalog is available on iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts, or at www.thedoctorwhopodcast.com. This is the first episode in five years. You never know what's going to show up on an old podcast feed, you know? Thanks for spending a couple of minutes with me. The Doctor Who Podcast team will be back next time. <laughs>